You're listening to the Build Shapes Podcast, presented by Midco Sports Network. We're in the midst of another jam-packed fall sports season here on Midco SN, including wall-to-wall coverage of the high school football playoffs on Varsity Sports Live. That's Friday at 10.30. Plus, this weekend, Hockey Hall of Fame game, UND Michigan Tech. That's Saturday night at 7 o'clock. It's all on Midco Sports Network. This is how we do sports, and this is the Build Shapes Podcast. Hello, taping this on a Tuesday morning, as opposed to a Monday this week on no on almost in November. We're not there just yet. October the 29th. Alex Seiner, Bill Chaves here with you. Uh, we had a little adjustment in schedule this week because I literally could not speak yesterday. The uh, the excitement of of nine home events and four live games this past weekend in Grand Forks. It, it took it out of me a little bit, Bill. How, how are you and your staff holding up after a really busy weekend of activities? Yeah, and then fired away with uh, yesterday having a media day uh, for the basketballs. And so, you know, I, honestly, you know what you sign up for. So, But still, when you sign up for it, Alex, um, it still doesn't – it doesn't uh, – you know, uh, you still got to go through the week and it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot for our staff and I, I couldn't be uh, happier and prouder uh, on how they handled everything. And again, most, most times it's your attitude going through these things too, because uh, it's a lot. And uh, you know, but I, I think, you know, they did a great job and uh, you take it like literally one bite at a time and you just go from event to event, to event. And, uh, you know, unlike I would say, you know, let's just say the Minnesota twins or the wild or, uh, you know, something to that effect, you know, where you have one team and then you're going all in with that team, you're just going like, you know, to, to, for different venues, to different roles, to, you know, you just, you're just bopping around and, uh, you know, you just hope that I guess something doesn't go, I'll call it triple overtime. And then, and then all of a sudden you have to, you know, pivot from there as well. But, um, but yeah, it was a busy week and, you know, we'll, we'll have what, maybe a couple of these a year. A handful. Yeah. And so, you know, when you have the, um, you know, the weekend series when hockey's in town and then you couple it with football, uh, and then other sports, uh, you know, it just, uh, it becomes, uh, you know, for sure a handful, uh, for our, our staff, but they handled it like pros, the pros that they are. Yeah. The staff did great. Uh, the teams did well over 500 in this crazy week, went five and four with nine different events taking place. Some really high moments, uh, that we're going to get to here in a little roundup right now. And the biggest victory of the week was at the Alara Center on Saturday and you know football being able to take down the number nine team in the country in a really exciting game there were stretches where not much was happening but it just felt like you know any moment one big play was going to swing the contest and special teams ended up being the difference in a 16-12 win a huge punt to pin Montana State down inside the one and then a punt block four downs later and that was basically the football game. But, of course, it was it was much more than just that. A great day on Saturday, really, at the Alaris for the guys and for Bubba Schweigert. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the, those special team plays, they're, they're one-play series. And uh, they're just, you know, maybe whatever the percentage is, right, like 95% of the time they, they kind of go 
you know, according to Hoyle, so to speak. They they just sort of, you know, you 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 punt and you know maybe a fair catch or you know you get you know ten yards or five ten yards. But but in that situation, um, you know, it's why we love sport. It's like you know you never know what's going to happen and what's going to win a game. And uh, you know that whole sequence was kind of wild, really, toward the end of the fourth quarter. I mean, from you know uh, I thought our defense played just tremendous uh, all all game long and uh you know gave up a, a big uh, a big run and then a touchdown and then uh you know came up huge in that two point uh conversion stop and then uh you know obviously did uh, got the ball back and 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 made some made some progress uh you know uh you know Wanzik had a, a big play down the middle almost to midfield uh but then uh, had to end up punting and just tremendous uh job and uh you know pinning them inside the one gave gave us a shot and uh the defense you know that it was a huge series i mean i honestly uh i was texting with my son uh and he you know i just said you know, biggest series, biggest defensive series of the year, period. Okay. I mean, had to stop from them from getting a first down. They get out to the 12 or 13 yard line and they can breathe a little bit. Um, the, the, the game felt like it was tilted in, in our, into our favor, even though we were down two and uh, came up with a huge play on uh, specials and then, uh, and then closed it out. Yeah. Special win. I mean, it was a big win beating the top 10 team. Even though North Dakota's had some big wins this year, again, that's their third win over a ranked opponent this season. Uh, This one felt a little bit different, maybe because of the time of year it was. Back-to-back wins now as well. You're kind of picking up some momentum going into an open week. And now that this win has gotten themselves back into the top 25, and really, there's work to be done, of course. There's, There's still three games left. But this makes you now, officially, a viable playoff team. You know, if the season ends today, they're in. You know, like that's those are the sorts of those are the sorts of wins that really do help you accomplish your goals as a football team. Yeah, I mean, I think you're in the conversation, Alex, for sure. And uh, had to have I mean, I felt like last Saturday was a regular season game, sort of uh, it it was. Yes, it was called a regular season game, but it was really a playoff game because you needed that particular win to give yourself a shot for the conversation as you head to November, as you head into the last third of the season, you have a shot. Now, you know, you know, there's going to be 10 automatics and 14 at larges and, you know, each it literally, when I say this each year's its own, I mean, it's, you know, some years you, you get uh, some, uh, you know, teams you feel like have had, you know, really good years and they're like seven and four and they get left out. Or, you know, sometimes seven and four is a no brainer. And again, with a 12 game season this year, um, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to have that debate between what's happening in that 12th game. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Some of the folks that I've spoken to, you know, will say, gee whiz, we're not playing that 12th game as if let's just say, let's just say we're seven and four as if you were going to be eight and four, you could be seven and five. And, and, and at the end of the day, seven and five is not as good as eight and four. And obviously, and it's not as good as seven and four. 
And now, you know, so, so I think you take the schedule that, that you have and just play it. And, you know, at this point, Hey, we still have an opportunity even to be eight and three, if that were the case. And so, uh, but you know, we've got tough games ahead and uh, I just never know each week. Uh, You know, you look at a Southern Utah that, you know, just put up 50 or so on, on Idaho state and Idaho state was on the road. And if you take all the opponents we lost to, they're undefeated at home. And so that's real. And so, you know, it's just, it's just weird. It's just odd. So, you know, the committee's got to, uh, you know, sift through all that stuff. And we have to do a good job of providing some of that information. Yeah, I would say home field advantage alive and well this year, especially in the big sky. A huge, a drastic differences between teams' home form versus their away form this season. And that's, and UND's been the same way, of course, perfect at home. And then just the one victory on the road, obviously a big one against Cal Poly. But yeah, Idaho State, that's a perfect example. And that's why, again, the fact that UND's playing two of the, the final three at home, that makes such a big difference now going down the stretch. Yeah, I, you know, in some years are just like that, Alex. And, uh, you know, the teams that are probably, you know, obviously uh, are, I'll call them no brainers for the playoffs, their form both at home and the road, you can't really tell the difference, so to speak. But, uh, you know, that's why you're right. That Cal Poly game uh, was huge for us, you know, to kind of, you know, get a, get a road victory and kind of set you up now, uh, you know, big, big, big game uh, in Sacramento this week uh, as Weber State. State goes to Sac State and, uh, you know, we'll all be all eyes on that. That's that's the biggest game in the big sky for sure this weekend. And, uh, you know, I still think the other teams, you know, certainly NDSU uh, beating SDSU on the road and them having a few more home games left and Eastern, I think, I, I still think Eastern will win games at home as well. And uh, like I said, Idaho State seems to be pretty good at home. So all that to be said, um, you know, we get the open week, kind of heal up a little bit. And then uh, we get an, uh, a, a, just a major opportunity in Ogden, Utah, in a couple of weeks. Weber State, as you said, is number three or number four, kind of depending on what poll you look at. And Sac State's number five or number six. So a great example of two top six teams going at it. And then we sort of get to pick up the pieces. Hopefully, hopefully Weber gets a little banged up in that game uh, and uh, comes into home ready, you know, to take on a UND team that's going to be fresh. But if you're a UND fan, and obviously if you're listening to this podcast, yeah, you probably are. What advice would you say in terms of cheering during this open week and, and over the rest of the season? What should UND fans be cheering for other than their own team to win for them to have the best shot to make the postseason? I think I know the answer, but go ahead and throw it out there. Well, I'm, I mean, I think if you were to say, you know, if you have a chance to make it, uh, you know, the, the easiest thing for us to cheer for is to is to win out. <laughs> and and go eight and three, and then I don't think there's any question. I think once you get into seven and four mode, if we were ever fortunate enough to be in that situation, I I think then you're asking for uh, the committee to have to make some decisions uh, among teams, and unlike pairwise, where it's very objective, this committee is very subjective, and so you know we need teams that we played to do well and especially ones we lost to to do well but maybe not as well as us (laughs) (laughs) it's true right i mean that's that's that balance you want your resume to look good but you and you want the teams on your schedule to do well so you look good but you also, because again, Sam Houston State's kind of in the same boat right now. Like they just lost to Central Arkansas, who's a top 10 team now. They're in that five and four range. 
You know, it's a lot of schools like that. Eastern kind of in the same boat. You need those schools to do good, but maybe not quite as good as you. So you can at least have the upper hands when it comes down to comparing resumes. Fine lines. It yeah. is fine line. And, and you know when you'll know? At the end of the year. <laughs> you know, so so you just I, – I, how about this? this? All right, so I'm going to put my fan hat on right now. I, I kind of always considered like uh, do you use roots up, right? Am I going to root for something? I, I, I don't use up any roots in this. I just let it all play itself out. <laughs> And because at the end of the day, we have to do what we do and we have to be as good as we can be. And if we take care of our business, then uh, then then we, we we need to give the, the committee um, obviously the best resume possible. And so uh, it'll be it'll be interesting for sure. And like I said, Weber, um, you know, is 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 incredibly uh, that's an opportunity for us. That will be uh, exciting that day. And uh, like I said, they're going to be coming off a, a big game. Uh, at SAC and uh, you know we just got to figure things out I mean look at Montana State's now in the same boat that now they're now they're kind of you know kind of you know are they rooting for us or not rooting for us you know I mean it's kind of a weird deal you you get these situations every year especially in this sport a little, little bit in other sports as well with bubble teams except every you know every sport that has a postseason tournament you find yourself cheering for teams that you just hate or teams that you just were going up against a couple of weeks ago but that's that's kind of how this whole thing shakes out. And like you said, we'll know on November the 24th where, where we stand. That Sunday is the selection special, and playoffs will start that week of Thanksgiving the following week. And if you just win, baby, you don't have to worry about it. 8-3 and three is going to get the job done. So hopefully three more, three more games left. If UND could string together a five-game winning streak to close out the season and really hit the postseason feeling, feeling pretty good, man, that would be the goal. That would be the hope. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this team – uh, this team is kind of still feeling its way as as far as um, what it is, uh, uh, you know, from a resiliency standpoint. And I think it's grown over the course of the year. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think, you know, folks, you know, wonder why, you know, certain results happen the way it is. I, it's just part of the sometimes each team's journey. And, you know, uh, and I think the last game, you know, coming off uh, what, you know, obviously no one wanted to have happen in Pocatello, but to have the resiliency and the bounce back uh, ability to go to uh, to go to Cal Poly, who at that point in time, truly, when we played them, you know, they're still thinking, hey, we're going to run the table here. And, you know, to be able to go and figure out how to get that one done and then bounce back against a, a Montana State team that certainly was rated highly by by you know, a couple of polls, um, but you just never know until the end of the year, whether or not that was a, I guess, a a fair ranking or not. And so, and it really doesn't matter. Hey, they could bounce back and and run the table and it it was fair, but we won't know until the end. Yeah. Mm. College sports. It was a fun day on Saturday for sure. So big win for football. They improved to five and three going into their second open week of the season with a big game against Weber state looming in Ogden two weeks from now. Uh, hockey, meanwhile, big, big weekend for them as well. Uh, after going on the road and coming up a little bit short against Minnesota State, the number two team in the country, they come back home and they sweep Bemidji. Took a little late drama on Friday. Love an overtime winner in a comeback. That was fun. And then Saturday, uh, a much more comfortable 4-1 to victory. Uh, your thoughts on the hockey weekend, Bill? Yeah, you know, I thought Bemidji played, you know, really really well it, you know it kind of really was similar to football for a while it kind of felt like there was a all of a sudden the game was in the last 10 minutes 
and it was, uh, you know, I don't want to say neutral zone or sort of played, you know, played between the 30s or whatever, but um, you just kind of knew something was going to happen at some point. And, uh, and fortunately, we, we found a way to tie it up. And that was huge uh, to just give us I, I, almost like new life. It almost gave us new life into overtime. And, uh, you know, and then uh, Shane won the draw. Uh, and, uh, and it was just a uh, in Weston, you know, obviously kind of one time to and uh, great, great goal and great win. You could tell the energy from the guys that came off the bench. And that was kind of cool, too. You know, and that's, a, you know, sometimes just enjoy those moments right I mean that it doesn't matter I mean you know you play this you know game 60 minutes and in this case you know 60 plus minutes it it, it is exciting and I it was it was it was I was excited to see the guys excited how about that <laughs> That's 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 the the spot you want to be. Gus Johnson, by the way, who was one of my favorite commentators. Gus, who was you know the the law of Gus, March Madness, all those years now does Big Ten football for Fox and had a little soccer run there for a little bit as well. Gus has a great line where he says, "I love to delight in the joy and excellence of others," and that's why he gets so excited on the call. And that's that's why it is so much fun to be as invested as you are, as people that are around the athletics department are. You know, as we are at Midco SM with these teams. It is fun to delight in people that you know and and have a relationship with over years succeed and and that it's moments like that when you see the guys just revel in something so special like an overtime winner at home that's fun and that's one of the big things that makes sports special to us yeah I mean I think all of us want uh, the results so to speak and and want to get to the place where you're competing at the highest level with a chance to win a conference championship and then even uh, potentially a national championship and obviously we all want those but I think if you can enjoy the game and and you know let's just say uh, early on in the season or of any sport and you you watch it and and you just see the team just really uh, in both sides really I I felt for Bemidji in a sense they played a really really good game but they put themselves out there and you know what they fell a little short and uh, it wasn't from the you know their lack of uh, effort for shit for per se but we we just found a way to get it done and sometimes teams have that special quality and uh so it was exciting at four one and one right now you know we're 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 kind of you know getting off to obviously a, a good start i would call it, call it a good fast start if you will and got uh, michigan tech in the hall of fame game coming up in a one uh one game this weekend kind of you know odd when you're you're you know, ready to kind of have a series, but, um, but I think it's good for us. At least we, we have a game and, uh, but it gives us an, a little bit of extra time as well this week. Yeah, certainly Saturday night, seven o'clock hockey hall of fame game, uh, Michigan tech, a school, obviously that was in the WCHA with UND. So a ton of history between these two, but they have not played since 2013, not a ton of familiarity, at least with the recent version of this squad, but it's a good, it's a good tech team, three and three on the season. They beat Bowling Green last time out in Bowling Green, and that's a top 20 team that they just took down. So UND will have to be ready uh, for a good challenge from the Huskies coming up this weekend. Uh, it should be noted, by the way, this when you talk Hockey Hall of Fame, everybody's thoughts immediately go back to Las Vegas last year and some of the fun destination venues that have happened over the last couple of years in this particular game. Uh, it gave us a chance just to smile and look back. I'm sure we're going to talk about it on the broadcast this weekend. I know we don't have any set plans yet for the next Hockey Hall of Fame game next year, but talk about just briefly the decision to have this game. Because you, you could play this anywhere, but the choice to have this particular Hockey Hall of Fame game at the Ralph instead of going out and doing a Vegas or a whatever, a New York, et cetera, coming up this week. 
Yeah, Alex, I think, you know, in, in, in I, I would uh, be remiss if I didn't mention the yeoman's work that Jody Hodgson has put in and in his staff and, uh, and certainly Coach Barry as well. I think the thought process is to try to do something that's like I'll call it destination or special every other year. I think we're we're sensitive to our our, our fan base and and what we ask of them and you know how much support that they provide us at the Ralph here in Grand Forks and and other venues as well. So uh, I, I just think that's our kind of our mindset at this point in time and uh, and I just think you know that's probably. Um, uh, just kind of where we landed with this. So that's kind of, it's, a, it's an every other year type of thing, you know, and, you know, more to come, probably not the uh, uh, best kept secret in the world as far as what maybe is potentially transpiring, but I'm just telling you details have to be uh, ironed out and you have to make sure I's are dotted and T's are crossed. So we'll leave it there. Stay tuned. Watch this space in the months ahead for maybe some more information on what could be coming next year when it will be potentially a destination type year for hockey. But no, I, I think you're right. We've talked about this before. I think it's smart to not every year go someplace because then it starts to lose some of the specialness and then people can't necessarily commit to going to those events every year. And all of a sudden, it's not a cool deal. I, I, it always would be, of course. People would always come. But I, I like the idea that we've spaced this out a little bit. And you can look forward to something. That's that's why the Olympics happen every four years. If you had it every year, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. You know, and it's kind of the World same Cup, thing. right? World Cup. Same thing. Same thing. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. And so uh, we're excited about hosting, obviously, the Hall of Fame game this weekend. And, uh, you know, we'll do uh, we'll do everything we can uh, uh, to make sure and publicize and use the platform, much like we did with Teddy Roosevelt this past weekend. I know Teddy visited you. I didn't get an opportunity to meet Teddy, but I, I'm trusting that he was, uh, um, he was a solid, uh, solid individual. Oh, TR. I, I was hoping he would come up at some point in the podcast. That was great. The folks from Medora, it was Medora Nights if you weren't there on Saturday at the Ralph. And so they had uh, the world's foremost Teddy Roosevelt impersonator that is kind of on site in Medora, I think, throughout the summertime and at various points during the year. And just a delightful man. But that guy, unbelievable. We had a fun chat uh, during the second intermission on Saturday. And there were there were a moment there, I, I asked him some question, and he's talking and he's he's 100% in it. And I just started cracking up a little bit because of just the farce of it all of like, I'm having a conversation with the 26th president of the United States that's been dead for 100 years. And here we are. And it was like he was speaking a language that was so foreign <laughs> to what you would normally have in the middle of a hockey game. But he was great. And the, the Medora folks were awesome. And that was so much fun. I loved his interaction with Brad Berry. I don't know if you saw this on social media. It was classic. Oh, boy. He chats with Brad down below and... Brad's like, hey, you're going to get the boys going tonight because Teddy was going to and did say a pregame speech in the arena. And uh, Teddy says, yes, we'll try and get them moving. And we hope we get them moving a little quicker than the middle of the third period like they were moving last night. It was just great. I love it. Little dig. It, he was he was a gem. It was fantastic. Legendary performance by Teddy. This yeah. Time. In fact, his, uh, you know, his uh, famous, I say his Teddy's famous, uh, you know, kind of in the arena speech, which was just great and uh, uh, was, I thought, just awesome. And uh, yeah, it was good. What did you guys talk about anyways? I mean, uh, just give me a, a thumbnail sketch. I didn't, I saw the photo. I was hoping that there would be a video connected to it. Maybe that could be a good uh, little thing that you could kick out. It's coming today. So if you're listening to this, it'll already be online. We're going to clip off the whole thing just because it was so much fun.
the conversation took a lot of different turns, but it was a little bit about like what, you know, what Teddy loved about North Dakota because he's a New York guy, came to North Dakota and just fell in love with it and stayed for a couple of years before going back to be the governor of North or uh, the governor of New York. And so he he just kind of talked about how much he loved the spirit of the people and the lands. And he talked about hunting, <laughs> hunting bison. That's why he came out in the first place. He wanted to hunt a bull bison. And uh, I mentioned, if you keep talking like that, you're going to really endear yourself to the people watching at home right now, hunting bison. You'll have to watch the whole interview online when it posts later today. He was definitely, uh, it was awesome. He was just in character. I mean, boom, done. And he just, uh, it was great. You just never know what's going to happen when you come to the Ralph. You never know who's going to show up, who's going to be in there. It's just another reason why you got you to come out and uh, experience a game day at the REA, unlike anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was great. Well, good, good. Uh, from a hockey sweep to a split for women's soccer, but an important one. You know, they took on a Denver team that's just rolling right now, and that was always going to be a tough game. And Chris Logan kind of let the girls try some different things attacking-wise in the second half, and that score got a little bit ballooned over the course of 90 minutes in the first game of the weekend. But they kind of did the opposite to Omaha come Sunday, and, and a big 5-2 win for the ladies to give themselves 12 points, you know, a D1 record, 10 wins, and now they're in third place in the league and have a phenomenal shot with one game left to reach the Summit League tournament for the first time. Yeah, I, I would say we have not uh, clinched a spot yet, but because other uh, schools have two matches to go, and we've just got the one match uh, uh, against North Dakota State uh, that we still have left to play, but even if we were to say lose that match, there's still a chance that we could make the tournament. It's just everyone hasn't played, I guess, eight matches at this stage. And you're right. I, I think, you know, we've actually played decently for a, a good chunk of time against Denver early on. And, uh, and but against a team like that, you, 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 you've got to try to find the back of the net. And if you can do that, I think it gives you just that that boost of energy and confidence against a, a team like that. But then once you get down, once we got that, they got that second goal. You, you kind of have to make a choice then, right? As a coach, are you going to kind of keep playing this thing and, and sort of empty? empty the holster and just kind of play offensively and knowing that you're going to potentially give up some. And that's what Chris did. And I, I, I honestly, I don't blame him. I, I, at the end of the day, I think you just, you give yourself a chance to potentially go try to score a goal. And, uh, and when it goes the other way, you know, then they get confidence and they're a pretty good team. Yeah. And, and they are, I mean, they're going to be, they've locked up their spot in Brookings uh, in two weeks for the summit league tournament. Uh, North Dakota's equation right now, you know, a point against North Dakota State still wouldn't 100% guarantee because there's a possibility that, you know, like a South Dakota who's on seven points right now could win two games and then be level. And then it comes down to head to head and then point difference and then things kind of get messed up. But basically a point, though, against North Dakota State on Thursday would give UND essentially a spot you're you're basically clinched there because NDSU is the other team that's trying to chase you down uh, the Bison right now are in fourth place. There's uh, And then Oral Roberts is still kind of in the equation as well. And like you said a moment ago, these teams play each other a little bit. There's a lot of combination play with everybody else that has two games left. So we're not going to go into all the specifics, but like kind of like with football, just win and you're in at this point. Uh, a draw and you still have a great chance. And then a loss even, you still have 12 points. Other teams would have to win back-to-back games. And, and the road's not necessarily easy for some of these clubs. So it'll be... It's a battle still to make top four, but UND in third place right now with the most with the most points they've ever had. Twelve points last year got the job done. 
it, hopefully that's going to be the case again. But if they can get one more victory or at least a point from that Bison game, uh, hello, hello to Fishback Soccer Park in a couple of weeks and a shot to make the NCAA tournament. That would be great. And so uh, soccer, that's uh, down in Fargo on Thursday at six o'clock. And so uh, it's, it should be should be a lot of fun. The team has uh, been fun to watch for sure. Watch grow and uh, in relatively uh I will say young, but 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 certainly a lot lot of a uh, lot of a lot of kids coming back next year. So uh, just an awesome opportunity if we could find a way to to get into the playoffs because that experience is really second to none. Looking forward to them making that next step. That's such a be- it's a big deal when you make the tournament, and only four teams do. Fingers crossed. Thursday night. Let's hope for good things and then good results from around the rest of the league. But they've done the, they've done the hard work right now. Now you just have to finish the deal. Hey, just a, a little bit of a shout out to our facility staff and uh, our folks uh, operationally that made Bronson a go last week. Uh, it was, uh, you know, probably touch and go on the pod last week. We probably were surmising it was going to be East Grand Forks. And, uh, you know, I thought that uh, our folks on campus uh, did a heck of a job. And, uh, and Devin Grenier and Eric Martinson and his group, uh, you know, working with our facilities folks and our uh, our team did a, did a, did a nice job to, uh, to get our team team back on their uh, home field yeah the way the weather has been we thought at that point it was going to be east grand forks and it was great that they were able to play on bronson and then yeah to, to pick up a big win at home on their home fields to finish out the regular season at least the home portion of it yeah great great stuff there nice work by the crew to make that happen i would say big success by the way with bronson field year one of, of the new turf uh being able to put that sod in get it to where it was i know you had to move one match over to east grand but the place looks really good. And like you mentioned before, just a step or two away from really making it into a soccer facility. Now, the field's great. Now we just have to complete that project. Um, any, any, by the way, any update or any plan on that of what the next step is going to be? No, perfect. So we are, the next step is to enclose uh, uh, Bronson, at least three quarters of it. So I'll call it uh, the Columbia Road side, if you will, um, along with uh, the behind each goal. And uh, I, you know, so that's that's next, so that we can protect the field. Um, that was always kind of part of the project, if you will. Uh, so that's uh, that's in play. I, you know, just the the weather's been tricky, and so uh, we're going to try to get the poles in and and try to get that rolling, so that we again. Can can uh, do a good job of protecting the field. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'd say the west side, uh, kind of the parking lot side, that's where our vision is of doing something that's a little bit more of an entrance, if you will. And then if you walked in, uh, this, let's pretend you, you came in at midfield and you walked in uh, from the parking lot side. I think you kind of look to the left and look to the right, and I could envision, you know, seating all, of, all up and down that particular sideline and so that's kind of the next you know that's the next frontier it's going to take some uh, uh, external dollars to make that happen and so uh, that's something we are working on among other things that we're working on yeah exciting stuff there looking forward to seeing the progress in that facility for a program that really is on the rise here at UND Volleyball, meanwhile, had three home matches this past weekend. A great chance to try and get some momentum going as the season shifted from the first half to the second half. Unfortunately, they were playing some really good teams. The top half of the league was all coming to Grand Forks. The makeup game against DU, and then a game against Omaha on Saturday, and then South Dakota, who's now won 18 straight matches. You get the Yotes on Sunday. Unfortunately, Jeremiah Tiffin's club couldn't, couldn't come out with the win in any of those matches. 
But there were sparks. I think that's the one thing you have to take with this young team. Uh, Certainly against USD in the third set, there were moments in that Denver match where they really were competitive. I know two wins in conference right now out of 10 matches played doesn't look great, but they're still in play for one of those six spots to make the Summit League tournament. They're within touching distance, and they play the team that's in front of them on Friday in Western Illinois. It's a long season, and there are still games left, six games remaining for UND. Obviously a tough weekend, but still some positive things to take from it going into now three straight road games on the way. Yeah, you know, first year uh, first year for Jeremiah. And, uh, I, I think he's obviously trying to set the uh, foundation as to how he wants to play volleyball for the years to come here at UND. And yeah, never easy when you're getting into a situation um, where, you know, you're unfortunately just not able to finish out some matches. And so... Uh, still some season to, to go, and you're right, the Western Illinois match on Friday and then Fort Wayne on Sunday, uh, you know, those are those are opportunities for us. And, uh, you know, this team certainly has not uh, given up by any stretch of the imagination, and they're fighting out there. So uh, hopefully we can uh, can find a good result in uh, either Friday or Sunday or both. And uh, that would put us in, uh, you know, that would put us in, a, uh, I, that would put us in, uh, I think, a top six situation at that point. Yeah, a win against Western's big. I mean, that team's at three and seven right now. UND's at two and eight. ORU and South Dakota State are both at two and eight as well. So there's kind of that, those four teams are really fighting for that final spot. But even North Dakota State at five and five is not out of touching distance. Because again, UND plays that team here coming up in a couple of weeks. And they play South Dakota State. They play Oral Roberts. They have all these teams coming up. So, and two of the three who they're fighting with are at home. So that's one of the positive things is you try and find that that sixth spot. So the tournament, by the way, at in Denver at the end of November, a couple of games left. But yeah, it does start a big one on Friday at Western Illinois to try and get back on track uh, with the season starting to wind down. That's right. And if you've ever met uh, Coach Tiffin, you'll know how positive he is. And he knows, hey, you know, sometimes you have seasons where uh, you're, you're kind of in growth mode. And, uh, and that's what he's trying to do with this, uh, this team. And, uh, you know, we still have, uh, you know, season, some season to go. And we just have to keep, uh, keep chopping wood, so to speak, as they like to say, and, uh, and, and find a way to continue to play uh, hopefully our best ball as we, uh, as we kind of finish the, the final quarter of the season yeah Jeremiah such a good guy and he was you could tell he was disappointed obviously after the match on Sunday but at the same time like he knows he's trying to figure out his setter situation Peyton Sewell who had been really good at the start of the year in this 6-2 formation with Julia Vetter she gets a concussion now they've got to change formation and you're throwing in a, a sophomore setter that hasn't played a lot now into a 5-1 role and then Sewell comes back but she's rusty because she's missed four weeks there's just so much going on with the young team it's hard to overcome but he's he's got a good head on his shoulders and like you said has a great positive perspective and that's what's really going to help this team grow in the long run and hopefully over the course of the next six games to close out the regular season yeah I appreciate you saying that Alex I you know I I tend to you know try to stay um you know I guess broader in, in a sense but he definitely has had a little bit of the injury bug for sure and uh and, and you're you're sensitive to to bringing that up because every program has to go through every team has to go through some of that stuff but it's been real I mean no doubt about it and there was uh certainly some choices made at the beginning of the year as far as potentially red shirting and, and and doing some other things and so I think there's a bigger picture as far as where he would like to see this program go and uh but that doesn't mean that you're uh, I'll say discounting this season by any stretch you're trying to get the most out of what this this team can be and uh you know I'm always optimistic and maybe some of those injuries uh you know kind of healed up a little bit and maybe we'll 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 play our best ball at the end of the year 
Yeah, it just takes one win to kind of get things it back does. on track. And Western's a team that UND's beaten before, so we'll see if it can happen Friday night, 7 o'clock in Macomb before taking on Fort Wayne on Sunday at noon. Uh, speaking of, you know, the season coming to a close and trying to finish on a high note, Summit League championships for cross country coming up this weekend in Fargo. Big meet for the men and the women to close out the season. Uh, first fall championships of the year. It's kind of fun that we're at that point in the season that we're going to be crowning some champions and moving some kids on to the Midwest Regional coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, and I, it, it, I we tried to do this pod uh you know, once a week. And we've been pretty good, I think, uh, you know, doing that and uh, having Christine on a couple pods ago, maybe about three weeks ago, you know, she does a nice job of kind of detailing where the team sort of has been this year as she's taken over uh, and uh, and kind of forecasting what that championship would look like. So I, I would say if you're interested in that, she she certainly could uh um to uh, she could uh, say it much better than we can but uh but it is exciting uh when you get into championship mode and then just a couple of weeks later um uh, is soccer so soccer uh, is november seven to nine uh and so that's in brookings and so yep uh, championship season is upon us yeah exciting stuff yeah so again the rose creek golf course hosting that cross-country championship again this saturday uh, and then yeah, you said fishback soccer park the place to go hopefully where und will be in two weeks time that's uh, second weekend in november uh championships in the fall means that the winter sports season is probably underway and we kind of got a taste of that exhibition action for women's hoops uh one of the match or one of the games that sort of closed out the weekends or actually started the weekend next year it was going to be on sunday moved to thursday uh how about a how about a 98 to 19 win for Travis Brewster and the ladies to get the season going 98 to 19 bill. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, it's a lot, (laughs) but, but I would say that like anything else, you're trying to figure a little bit about your team. And, uh, after you've get done with so many practices in a row, it's nice to be able to, uh, you know, kind of run your offense and your defense against another, uh, another teams so that, and, and I thought, Coach Sather said it pretty well yesterday at the media luncheon is he said, you know, everything is 50-50 when you're going against yourselves all the time. You know, I mean, if something happens great on the offensive side, well, obviously it's not happening so well on the defensive side. So and and you can flip flop that. So uh, I think going out and just, uh, you know, especially we've got so many new faces, uh, so many new uh, freshmen that that. you know, are, are going to get a lot of playing time and, and they did already. And uh, one thing coach Bruce said is uh, they're, they're pretty fearless. They're a pretty fearless bunch and uh, they like to shoot it. And so uh, I, I think he's going to uh, for sure. Uh, I think statistically he said, Alex at the, at the media day yesterday is, you know, how many we, how many attempts we put up would have been probably close to maybe three games last year. And not that that's the end all be all by any stretch. Cause you can put attempts up. You actually have to make them too. That's, that's part of it. But, and we did, we did. And so, you know, if you can make threes over twos, that's kind of what basketball has gone to. And so you gotta, you gotta be able to have that threat. And so, uh, it should be an exciting team to watch a little bit. Uh, I would say younger, or, or I should say younger in some areas, new roles in other areas. And so that gives you kind of a lack of experience, but you know, we, we go from sort of that to, uh, you know, going to, uh, Arizona, uh, in, in uh, you know, on November 5th. And so, uh, yeah, I, that's why I paused when you kind of gave me the score. I'm like, yeah, I kind of know what's ahead a little bit too. I think Arizona, I think they might've won the WNIT last year too. Yeah, they, they did. Yeah. Did they? They're pretty good. 
a little a little step up in competition. Cobbers to Wildcats, bit of a step up, but as you said, fun to see the kids get out there and play. They hit 15 threes. You know, they shot 42% from behind the arc. A ton of kids got involved. Uh, and it, they are going to be young in certain areas. You know, they graduated 16 years, and now you've got all these highly talented freshmen. You know, Miss Basketball, Minnesota, and Casey Baravich, Miss Basketball, North Dakota, and Megan Sander, and, and a number of other freshmen that really played well on Thursday against Concordia. It's going to be a different feel, but it's going to be an exciting feel, kind of like with the men as well. It's just it's exciting to start a new season, to see progression for these kids from one year to the next, and then to see all the new faces and what they're going to do. I. I'm really excited for this basketball season for both the men and the women. And it was fun just to get a little glimpse of what it was maybe going to look like, at least stylistically, uh, on Thursday in that exhibition game. So be on the lookout for, yeah, men's and women's hoops to get started in full coming up next week. No doubt. And so, and then, you know, on the men's side, uh, you know, uh, I think we're uh, ready to hit the floor against somebody else as well. And so that'll be fun. And uh, I thought Paul's comments about, Billy Keenan and Marlon, you know, that we bring back certainly a lot of uh, experience in that regard. But uh, the, the, here's here's where it's I'll say it's kind of what I just mentioned about roles is Paul just plays a little differently. And so so now everyone's kind of having to learn a new role. So uh, now I, I think, you know, our those those guys that I mentioned have been through a lot of games and uh, you're going to lean on those guys to, to kind of get you through the the tougher the tougher games, the tougher times. But but I think they're all trying to learn kind of how Paul wants to play. And so uh, so that's going to take some time. And certainly the schedule is going to be challenging. But uh, like anything else, I think much like Bubba said, lots of great opportunities and lots of memories for these guys to be able to go into venues that are going to be uh, not only fun, passionate fan base and tremendous opportunity if you can knock knock some some of these guys off. Yeah, you mentioned great venues. Gonzaga coming up on November the 12th. They've got Minnesota, Nebraska, a lot, a lot of big time teams they get to go to soon. They do start the season, though, at home. Crown College coming up on November the 7th will be their first match. Anything else, Bill, from a UND perspective? What else is on your mind? No, that's a lot, you know. And again, when you're in that crossover mode, uh, for sure, and you've got home hockey during the October portion of uh, of uh, the calendar and then into November, yeah, it's just a lot for the staff, but it's also incredibly exciting. you got championships that are about to be crowned, and then uh, you're just trying to get off to good starts on the other sports. Yeah, exactly. Well, a good time to flip over to the B-side and – he said good starts. Spurs had a good start at Anfield this past Sunday. Terry Kane scoring within 50 seconds of the opening kickoff. At that moment, how how confident were you? Were you feeling, feeling pretty good? No, I, I, I thought I was. <laughs> here's what I thought was if anyone was going to blow someone out, it was going to be Liverpool blowing Tottenham out. So so to get that early goal helped tremendously and uh you know let you know let at halftime which doesn't mean much if you're a spurs fan um you know we have found ways to lose on the road our our away form is not great and uh and have lost matches that were up now what what really was the tough one was when sun hit the crossbar Mm. you go up to zip you feel like it's one of those that 
you're probably going to get out of there at least with a point. If if Liverpool starts pressing and gets a gets a goal, and then they find a way to get a second one, to, to get three would be an, a tall task. But uh, you know, just the way Tottenham Liverpool matches go, then there was a penalty late in the game, and you know, it certainly wasn't on Liverpool. So uh, so you know, we just kind of knocked that in, and uh, game was over. And it doesn't matter if you lose nine nothing or two one, does it? No, it does not. No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> feels a little different, maybe. But uh, yeah, two one final. The Liverpool side of the perspective. Spurs great start, hung in there. Gazaniga basically. Were there three of him in the net? Uh, 12, 12 saves, ten saves. How many was it? I mean, it was double digits. He made double digit saves in that match. It was unbelievable. There were uh, just the, looking at the highlights again. Some of the saves that he made just it didn't seem possible that he was able to be in the spot that he was. But he kept Liverpool at bay as the waves of attack kept coming. And then Jordan Henderson, the captain, scores. And then yes, as you said, Sadio Mane gets gets tripped up. Arguably, he you know helps helped himself get tripped up a little bit, but the call stood and Mo Salah scored, and that was that. So I can't uh, really complain. Harry Kane is pretty good at that too. You know, I mean, he he's he's taken. If you're if you're a world class striker, you're you're gonna probably you've earned you've earned in a sense the the benefit of the doubt. It just it was weird the way the the way um, Serge Aurier. It was it was Serge. It felt like he was trying to kick the ball, and it was like during the it took he took so long for his leg to go back and forth that that Mane like slipped in between them. You know what I mean? It was like when it yeah. it felt like when it actually started, Mane wasn't there, but then at the end he was, and and you can't really. I mean, that was probably the right call. And so, and then they slipped it in and, uh, you know, it's just, it's tough in soccer because boy, at that level, at that world-class level, boy, what's the percentages of trying, of stopping that? It's almost like someone would have to miss, right? Fly it over a crossbar or something. Yeah. 80% is the success rate, I believe. Yeah. 80? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, Hey, Tottenham's got their issues. And so they've just got to <laughs> kind of figure it out. And, you know, here's the good news. They've played city on the road and they've played Liverpool on the road. And really they're kind of looking at the top, you know, th- third or fourth, and they'll be in the mix at some point. They're going to get on a run. I, I, I'm, I'm confident of that, but it's just, uh, yeah, I was a little disappointed. I thought, um, they played okay enough to come out maybe with a point, but Liverpool and Man City are just so much better than everybody else. It's just, to me, there's such a gap, such a gap. And you're only, what, six points ahead right now? Two matches? Six point clear. That That's why the comeback was so big, because if Spurs win that match or if they draw, now it's four points or it's three points. And and they play each other coming up uh, very, very soon. So uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend. So it, uh, Liverpool and Manchester City. So it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be a title race. Six points, not not a lot. Two games, and that's that. So big win for Liverpool, though, to keep moving forward. By the way, I should amend my statement. It's 80% penalty shot success rate for everybody except Manchester United. And it's about 7% for Manchester United, who missed two more penalties this weekend. Did they really? They missed two of them. And they still they still won the match, but it's uh, you, you got to love it. Struggles. So we're on the B side, so I can bring it up. What happened with uh, VAR in the Arsenal match? So VAR, and this is a fun conversation that um, we've had at different times, but over the course of this Premier League season, 
the the video assistant referee really hasn't overturned much. I mean, there have been a couple calls where it was an offside or whatever, but for the most part, they've let what the the the, the referee has called stands. And this weekend, it was like the complete opposite, where they just decided to intervene a lot. There were a lot of VAR overturns over the course of the weekends, and that Arsenal match was was kind of. Uh, I don't want to say it was Exhibit A, but that that was a wonky match in itself where they go up 2-0 with uh, Socrates and David Luiz scoring. So the two goofy central defenders score. And then, as Arsenal have a tendency to do, Crystal Palace come back and they get a penalty halfway through and Milivojevic scores it. And all of a sudden it's 2-2 two two and they're booing Granit Xhaka off the pitch. But it's, you know, Arsenal's going to Arsenal and if VAR have to play a role, so be it. But <laughs> there you go. Poor Paul Ralston. I was good with it. I mean, he said something about his his captain. Who's his captain? And so Granite Chaka, yep, who got booed off the pitch. Yeah, and he just kind of put his his little uh, his band down on the threw his band his captain's band onto the pitch, <laughs> and and probably uh, encouraged the fans even further a little bit. So probably wasn't a great scene for Arsenal. Not great. Um, Brad Schlossman is an Arsenal fan as well and is sort of new to this whole thing and it's been fun his dad not to go off on a tangent but his dad was in London randomly and got him an Arsenal shirt years ago and so he kind of just became well I guess this is my team whatever and he's only starting to realize what it really means to be an Arsenal fan <laughs> and it's it's been really fun to have the enlightenment of Brad the poor sad enlightenment of like oh yeah this is life as an Arsenal fan this is how it's going to be just sadness well they and again they are they are trying to uh compare themselves to what the 15 years of pretty amazing run right to some degree so so now they're trying to chase that back and other other i'd say teams have inserted themselves ahead of them and so that's probably making life more miserable for arsenal fans yeah the arsenal fans have a really unique existence and nick hornsby has has the book fever pitch which is what you know jimmy fallon eventually took over and converted it to a red sox movie but originally it was about arsenal it was a soccer book about arsenal and if you really want to get an example of what it's like to be an arsenal fan read that because it's all these excerpts from nick hornsby growing up and supporting this team but they used to be basically like the Burnley of today in the, the style that they played. It was like, Hey, we're going to win one nil. It's going to be ugly. It's all English guys. It's you, you won't enjoy yourself, but they were fairly successful over the course of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And then Arsene Wenger comes in from France and, and it was like this cultural revolution of this exotic football where, Oh, we can score and we can attack. And it was, you know, the scales came off and, and then they had some incredible years and, you know, Terry Henry and, Dennis Bergkamp, they had these beautifully skilled players, and you know, they didn't lose a game. They had the invincible season, uh, I think, in 2003, 2004. They won the league title. They were making Champions League finals, and that's sort of what became the norm. And then over the course of Wenger's time, they just they started to lose some of those great players to other clubs, and they never quite replenished them, and they would always be a team that had a lot of style but not enough substance, and they would kind of come up short in the league year after year. And everybody wanted Wenger gone because they needed a, new, a fresh start. And now they've brought Unai Emery in. And it's like the opposite where there's there's no style <laughs> and there's no substance, unfortunately. And that's that's where they are right now of just kind of languishing is like, a you know, maybe making they're, they're a Europa League team essentially now. And they made the Europa League final last year, of course, and got smoked by Chelsea. But they're in this weird 
transition phase, kind of like Man United was a couple of years ago when Alex Ferguson left, only without the trophies. So, well, like anything else, I, you need to have, I guess, a style that is yours, and uh, they're probably trying to figure out what their style is in some way, shape, or form. Whereas, you know, I, I look at go back to just say, uh, well, it seems like Man City and Liverpool, they they've just they've got world-class players coming out of their ears and it's like, you know, just, just they're, they're everywhere. Uh, You know, whereas anybody else I think needs to figure out who they are and play to that. And where Tottenham has struggled is I think they kind of were the young buck team that was energetic and whatever, and they had some success and now they're having to deal with success a little bit and uh, they they haven't done a good job with it, honestly, Uh, you know, but either that or they're going through the process of what they're, their team should could be moving forward with a lot of these same guys. And so I, that's why I, if you don't enjoy the season, then personally, why follow it in some way, shape or form? And I am enjoying how they're going to maybe get themselves out of this thing. (laughs) And it's, it's a week by week drama. It's, it's a soap opera to some degree, but you get the ability that they they're playing on different fronts, if you will. And, you know, they're still in play, let's just say with the champions league. And so, yeah, so it, it, it's, it's interesting, but boy, they, uh, that, that English premier soccer league, they've done a good job of uh, almost capturing uh, a good chunk of even the United States at this point. I saw where they were in Austin. Right. And it just, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy what's happened. Yeah. People love the football. They, re- they really do. It's NBC. Again, we, we talked about this before, but them showing all of these matches live on Saturday and Sunday mornings when there's not much else going on. So even if you love college football, you can still watch two Premier League games before the 11 a.m. kickoff pretty much every week. And you have the access and that gets you interested. And then because you have this constant flow of great coverage, because the coverage is fantastic. They do a phenomenal job promoting this sport. And because the product is so good. It was only a matter of time before it took off, and it's it's huge now. And I it's it's been a lot of fun to see this particular league and the sport grow so much in the United States. Well, and, and there's no doubt that you know, let's just say a, a, a team like Tottenham is a perfect storyline for them each and every week because they end up what losing to one of the worst teams in the in the league and then tying Watford and and but then can play tough against Liverpool. So so you, you've got you, you know they could go they they've run the gamut so to speak. Whereas occasionally and help me maybe it's FS1 has the Bundesliga and there just isn't a lot of depth in that. Uh, in that league. I mean, there's just not. There's a few really good teams, obviously. (laughs) There's one that puts seven on the Spurs. But, but, (laughs) but, 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 But it's just, there's no depth, is there? Not really. I, the the Bundesliga, and that's a great comparison because that's a league that is built on essentially great crowds, incredible atmosphere, but it's a, it's a league that you really need to see in person. Following it week in week out isn't as exciting because you know that Dortmund's and basically you know that Bayern Munich's going to win the league. Maybe Dortmund or Wolfsburg or Mönchengladbach or one of these other teams that every once in a while Leipzig have a, have a decent season. Maybe they can challenge. But the, the narrative is always: Will Bayern win? How many will they win by? And can anybody else even be a threat? And in the Premier League, it's like, well, which of these six teams? Now, obviously, the last two seasons okay, is, is Man City. Man City's kind of taken that mantle. But it's different, though. Anybody can beat anybody on any given day in the Premier League. One through 20, it's so tough. In the Bundesliga, it's it's not like that. 
It's Bayern and everybody else still. Even in La Liga, it's really, it's, it's Barcelona and Real and everybody else. Atletico sometimes. Same thing in France. PSG and everybody else. And in the Premier League, it's not like that. And that's, that's what makes it such a special league, for sure. It almost seems like, the, it, it, and it's fascinating now that I've watched it for, you know, maybe five to seven years. It's, it's interesting, the teams that get promoted and kind of how they've prepped themselves to come into the Premier League. Some some have probably done everything they they can do to get promoted, but then when they get to the Premier League, they're just not equipped to really compete. And then others have done both. Like they've they've gotten promoted and they kind of know who they are as well. So it, it's just fascinating. It really is. And 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 the depth of going back down to, you know, I'll call it whatever you call it, League Two or the Champions League. I, I guess it's the Championship League and then what, League go. Two after that. But it's just crazy that the um I guess the incentive to get promoted and I guess the 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 um the disappointment when you get relegated. I mean it's just they've got it. They've got it figured out pretty well. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't have tanking. There's no such thing as tanking in, in soccer. You don't have a Miami Dolphins situation where they're openly trying to lose because they would not be in the NFL. They'd be in the XFL if there was this promotion relegation system, which is a smooth transition because your Steelers put a little hurt on them last night after struggling a little bit early. But uh, nice win. Congratulations. That's the fun of doing this pod on a Tuesday when Pittsburgh plays on a Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> how do you how you feeling james connor's hurt now what's going on with that team i don't know but they've got two more home games in a row against the colts they're going to beat the colts this week and then uh then they're going to be four and four and the ravens they've got a tough one where they play uh new england they play the pats sunday night football this week mm-hmm. steelers are just maybe too beat up i don't know i hey we'll, we'll see i you know they're uh mason rudolph played okay in the second half he was he was checked down mason in the first half i mean holy cow i mean i i, I whew, it was one check down after another um and so uh it wasn't great it wasn't great but then they figured it out at least they weren't the team to lose to the dolphins yeah, it was looking there for a little bit like it was going to be one of those Fitch magic, Fitz magic kind of a nights. It was 14 nothing Finns, and then things kind of righted themselves, and Brian Flores got into Ryan's ear and said, hey, start throwing some picks. We need to lose this game. <laughs> Is Tua that good? Oh, boy. Uh, it's, all, it's all TBD. Who knows? I mean, these guys, none of these guys might really be that great. I, you know, but Tua, Tua Tagovailoa seems to be the real deal and has been great since he was a true freshman and puts up incredible numbers, but... How they transition to the pros, what what system they go into, what the coaching staff is like, how much stability they have. I don't know. I mean, if you could be a great quarterback and a great prospect and end up in the Dolphins situation next year, and you might not have anybody around you, and it might be really tough to be successful. And once that process starts, even if you're great, if you're in the wrong situation, it might not matter. Yeah, I you know, you you look at a guy like Rosen. Uh, you know, obviously that was a top 10 pick and then you got Minshew who was a six round draft pick. And so, and, and you would say that there's obviously at least the, the body of work right now, Minshew is, is blown Rosen away, but it's just, it's amazing that that particular position is obviously so critically important and the ability to actually, um, assess it is, is just not even close. It's almost like a coin flip. In a, in a in a weird way, I still think um, I still think the other guy that the the Steelers have, uh, Devlin Hodges. Uh, I, 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 
I, I, I'm more comfortable with him in one game that I saw than Mason Rudolph in a couple games. And that's probably an incredibly unfair sample size. But um, it just sometimes you can get you just your eyes tell you something. And it just feels like Rudolph was not comfortable there. Now, again, he's coming off an injury and all that rot. And so probably not fair to assess him you know, that critically, but in that sport and, uh, and, and what's going on there that you have to make decisions pretty quickly. And I think, you know, Jacksonville put themselves in a tough spot because they hung on to Bortles a long time and Chicago's heading in the same direction with Trubisky. Yeah, that's not good. If you're, if you're a Bears fan out there, and I'm sure you've got a couple that listen to this podcast. Ooh, another tough loss for them this weekend, kicking and, and quarterback play. Not great in Chicago. No, they, 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 that particular team right now, I, and it's funny to me how uh, trades have now become in vogue in the NFL. And yeah. so uh, how do you not trade for Andy Dalton right now? I think if you're a good team with a bad quarterback like the Bears are, you, you would be making that phone call. You, you have to. Yeah, you have to. Like, what are you waiting for? Like, it, to me, it's, uh, you know, the season's on the line right now for you. And, and, and a, a quarterback that gives you a chance Boy, I'll tell you what, now all of a sudden their defense is probably going back to because they don't have to be on the field the whole time. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, it gives you a shot. So I'll, I'll be surprised. And maybe Bridgewater's in that conversation, too. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think New Orleans is going to give up Teddy anytime soon, even though Drew looked really good. Breeze came back, of course, this last weekend through three touchdowns. But it's always that fear, like for that team they wouldn't be moving on from Teddy Bridgewater because of the fear of Drew Brees going down again is too great. His contract's up at the end of the year, Bridgewater. So that's the only reason why I would trade him right now. I I mean, because you really could get something for him. Oh, I would say so. Something significant. But do you trust, oh, what's his face, Taysom Hill enough in case, let's let's say you trade Teddy today, the deadline's today, you trade him, and Drew hurts his thumb again this Sunday. I guess they have a bye week this week, next Sunday. Then it's then your season's in the tank. Um, there's, <laughs> there's, it's just it's I I totally get it's just that balance. I think New Orleans feels like they have a Super Bowl team this year, and the way we've seen them play defensively and with the weapons they've got with Breeze or with Bridgewater, they think they've. I mean, Teddy went five and zero right as the starting quarterback. So, but I, I, if you really wanted, to, I mean, Bill Belichick would probably trade Teddy for a second round pick right now. Different situations, it, no doubt. And then he would trade that second round pick for four fourth-round picks and a 2027 sixth-rounder, and it would all work out. Uh, of course <laughs> it would, except they would not get a great wide receiver. <laughs> that is his only That is only his only uh, chink in the armor, right? He's, he's, he's not good at evaluating college wide receivers. That is that is a fact. That is, that 100% is the factual. only thing the Steelers are better than the Patriots at right now. <laughs> that is it. That is it. We, our wide receivers are better than yours. That's, That's it. Right. What, right. So the last one it, it, before we sign off is, uh, so it sounds like the Red Sox kind of went into Tampa Bay mode. Interesting, huh? <sighs> uh, you know, I mean, so we hired a new director of baseball operations. Shane Bloom, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm just not going to, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to not comment and just wait and see with how things go. Yeah, I, I've been disappointed. How's that for a nice condescending word? Um, (laughs) I've been disappointed on some of the Red Sox fans or, or followers, or I don't know, 
however you want to call it. I, I'm, I was good with what Dombrowski did. I, you know, he came in, did his thing, and it's not a mystery on what he does. And so it's almost like the ownership has been was surprised, like you know the signing, the re-signing of Steve Pierce, or um, you know the Evaldi signing, or you know even the Sale signing to some degree. All of that had to have been run through upper management. So if you didn't want to do it, don't do it. And so, but you did. This just in, you did win a World Series, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about think of, think of where the Dodgers are right now. I think they've won like seven divisions in a row, something like that. But their last World Series title is 1981. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and the Red Sox have won four since 04. Four. Yeah. So if they if I, I guess I will take the up and the down with the Red Sox if they're going to win it all, and that's what they've done. Yeah, because you remember the rings. You know, you remember the pain, of course, for Dodgers fans. Like that's that's not fun. Great winning in the regular season, a lot of heartbreak in the postseason. Sox fans, I feel like you remember the chicken and beer team, and you remember some of the low points, but certainly the high points outweigh that. And it's okay to be a little up and down now again. You don't you don't have to. It's it's tough to be the Patriots and be great for twenty straight years. That's really not the way it it is anymore. Even the Yankees, who were consistently great for so so long, of course, they haven't made it to the World Series in ten seasons. You know, even even like the teams that you think are so consistent, the Yankees have had ups and downs. It's gonna, it's it, that's just kind of how this sport is designed. And, and the way baseball is designed is, you know, the contract situation is different than the NFL. And so, you know, you're going to have more guaranteed contracts. And so, you have to make decisions on: Are you going to invest in certain guys at certain uh, points of their career? And, you know, I you probably could say the Red Sox have made some some I would say mm, poor choices. Uh, even, you know, with some of those long-term contracts when they have felt threatened to not be, uh, how should I say, um, uh, or they feel like they need to feed the monster of the fan base, so to speak. You know, the Pablo Sandoval signing was one of them. And, you know, there was a couple that just didn't work out great. Carl Crawford. Carl Crawford wasn't that great. That didn't work out, yeah. It really, it didn't work out, honestly, from jump. It was like, it was like, you're going to get the, it was, it was no doubt, you know, that I I felt the same way when we talked about Antonio Brown with the Steelers, I felt like the Steelers got their best years out of Antonio Brown. And so if he had to go somewhere else that the Steelers made a choice at that point that they were going to invest in other guys in those positions and the, the Red Sox sometimes get caught up. Um, you know, I still am blown away by the sale piece. I, I, I still wonder, is he a hundred percent healthy? I, it just doesn't feel that way. I can't be hopefully another off season of just, I don't know, going to Germany and getting <laughs> duck platelets put into his arm. I don't know what you need to do whatever, whatever you need to do. Horse placenta. Yeah, the Kobe. The Kobe he needs to go do the Kobe for about six months or so and be ready to <laughs> be ready to go. It, you know, and, and maybe not the pressure of, of postseason and all of that and, and be able to shut it down by August. Maybe he comes back stronger, which would be awesome. And, you know, and again, it, it really is going to come down to, you know, uh, their starting pitching, being able to, to bounce back. If, if they're starting pitching bounces back, they'll be just fine. Yeah, well, hopefully this kid. So Bloom is only 36. He's been with the Rays organization for a long time. It's a little Theo Epstein light, like when you think about, hey, we're bringing in a young genius. But it's it's different though. Very different styles of management, at least from what we've kind of, at least what we understand is his mo. Hopefully it works out, and hopefully they do realize, yeah, we can keep Mookie Betts and JD Martinez, and we'll figure it out. Like there are some things 
they might have to do to be creative about that. But like you said, I hope they, they because they hired a Tampa Bay guy, I hope that that helped we don't become the Rays who just sell off all these great players and invest in the farm system and then sell them all off when they get too good. I don't want to be, I don't want to be Southampton, Bill. I don't want to have this great farm system and then give all the guys away when they get to be too good. I don't want that. The, the, the things that he has to figure out really quickly is obviously he's got Bogart sign, but Devers and Betts. I mean, it, when you have a good farm system and you're Boston, you, th- those are the guys you actually want on your major league team. And so I think he'll figure that out, but I think it's going to be very data driven and uh, you know, he'll, he'll, I'm sure nuance some things, but at the end of the day, it's going to be incredibly data driven and Tampa's made some really good decisions. I mean, they've, they've cut bait with certain guys at certain times. Chris Archer is a perfect example is that they've cut bait really at the high apex of someone's uh, trade value. We'll see if it works for the Sox. Let's just keep our fingers crossed. Uh, really quick, last, very last thing, and I just want one word. Houston, we're going into game six of the World Series tonight. Verlander versus Strasburg. Houston's up 3-2. They've won three straight. Do they get the job done tonight, Bill Chaves? Yes. Yep. They're, uh, they're the best team in baseball. I, I thought the... The Nats had them though. First two games, they yeah. they had to find a way to to go knock it out. Really, you you almost have to get them in game three, and you know once the Astros start rolling, boy, that's a tough one. I, as to, I I would say yes, I would say Astros, but again, the Nats were at the brink even in the in the uh, in the wild card game. I would agree with you, Verlander tonight in a clinching game at home. Yeah, too much momentum. Although you think about it, in the regular season, the Nats were kind of almost done. Then they were almost done in the playoffs. And maybe this is their, this is the hat trick of coming is, back. Oh, well, Although with Verlander out. pitching, it's great that they're matching up with Strasburg. And I don't know what happened to Scherzer. I do feel bad for him. I mean, that probably made the series go south a little bit. He must be really hurt if he didn't pitch. Yeah, that guy's a warrior. So, well, hey, it's a big, another big week ahead. I, and I appreciate all the fans uh, that came out to all of our games this past week. I mean, it just, uh, it was a lot. And, and, and our, we've got the best fans in the country. So it was awesome to see them all there. Yeah, great stuff. Nine games at home, all wrapping up in one week. And now we move forward into November, Bill. Gosh, can't wait. Happy Thanksgiving. He's Bill Chaves. I'm Alex Sider. Cassie Niles is our producer. Thanks to this trio for making it happen again this week. Thanks to you for listening. We'll chat again next week. Mm-hmm.